This is a Federal News Network podcast. It could be Christmas in July for employees at the Transportation Security Administration. That's because the omnibus spending bill includes nearly $400 million for pay raises at TSA. If Congress approves the bill, the funding would be available starting next summer. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday joins me for the details. And tell us what you know about this impending pay raise that Congress could go along with, Justin. Yeah, there's $398 million in that fiscal 2023 spending bill that was just released uh, this past week. And of course, Congress is still debating it and needs to pass it. But that money, if passed, would go towards TSA pay raises. uh, And TSA employees are... Uh, underpaid compared to the rest of the federal workforce or paid less than the rest of the federal workforce. Um, and in and, and an email to TSA employees, Administrator David Pekoski uh, this past week really applauded the funding in the omnibus spending bill. And he said that the legislation would allocate it beginning July 1st, 2023, meaning those pay raises could hit paychecks as soon as the end of July of that year, according to uh, Pekoski's email. So that's something that is still has to be passed by Congress, but it's good news for TSA employees. And do we know what the effect would be on average salaries at this point of that uh, of that four hundred, nearly four hundred million dollars? Yeah, a, a TSA pay equity proposal that TSA sent over to lawmakers earlier this year uh, shows that there's about a thirty percent gap between what TSA employees make and what their comparably tenured uh, federal employee counterparts make under the general schedule system. So that's the gap they're trying to close. So on average, about a 30% pay raise here that they're looking at. Wow. It seems like this is another step in a long journey toward full Title V status for transportation security officers. Would that be a fair way to look at it? That's right. And and it's it's part of a broader push that uh, Congress had this year where there was the rights for the TSA Workforce Act that actually passed the House, and that would have put TSA employees under Title V. The bill actually stalled out in the Senate and did not make it into the NDAA, as some proponents like uh, House Homeland Security Chairman Benny Thompson was hoping but this funding is there to actually meet the the salary raises that, that that bill envisioned. So no Title V for TSA employees right now, but it is looking like this pay raise is here in the future. And was the union part of the negotiations here? I mean, federal employees, of course, cannot bargain on pay and benefits, but the union had to be kind of a silent or maybe not so silent player in these negotiations and proposals? Definitely not a silent player. The American Federation for Government Employees has uh, TSA Council 100, which bargains on behalf of TSA employees. And they were pushing hard for the rights for the TSA Workforce Act to be passed and, of course, pushing hard for this pay raise to be included in the spending bill. I spoke with Johnny Jones. He's the secretary-treasurer for TSA Council 100, and we talked about the path ahead for this pay raise. One of the hardest parts of this entire conversion is making sure that the agency follows through in this pay equity program. Obviously, as the Council 100, we're going to, uh, the bargaining uh, unit for the TSA officers, we're going to be obviously pushing the agency to make sure that the pay equity program is rolled out properly. There's been some discrepancies about, hey, how this conversion is going to work. If it's not up to the par, then we're going to be throwing the yellow flag and we're going to be reaching out to uh, our friends in Congress to make sure that the funding is appropriately properly. All right. And what else is in that bill for TSA? Yeah, there's also $61 million for new transportation security officer hiring. Uh, Again, this pay uh, disparity issue, uh, officials say, has led to a 
uh, 20% staff turnover at TSA year over year, which is is pretty high. So they um, the, and there's increased travel now with the pandemic. Um, kind of looking somewhat in the rearview mirror, if not totally in the rearview mirror. But there's increased travel now, and there's a need for more transportation security officers. So TSA is going to have to put together a report to Congress, but they have the funding for new hiring. Well, they've come a long way since they were complaining about scratchy uniform fabric. That was right. a few years ago, and that's that's a big issue. But that's solved, and now pay and so forth. And we have to acknowledge, I mean, TSA officers are law enforcement people doing a peculiar job that no other really law enforcement element in the federal government has, and that's constant retail contact with thousands of individuals you know, an hour sometimes. Yeah, I don't think anyone would argue that it's an easy job. You have to be on your feet for very long periods of time, interacting, uh, of course, with with the public and serve, serving the the traveling public for hours on end. I I talked with uh, Jones about how many employees actually just have a difficult time getting to their posts because they have to park in some satellite parking lot at the airport and spend half an hour, forty five minutes just commuting in that they don't get paid for there. So there's a number of issues that uh, TSA employees face. And I think this pay issue is is just one of them that would actually go a long way toward making their jobs better. Yeah, some of these airports seem like they're the size of Rhode Island. What about uh, getting back to the issue that uh, Johnny Jones mentioned, the union guy? What about expanded collective bargaining rights for other TSA employees? Is that coming up here, too? That is not yet clear. Uh, you know, Benny Thompson, the, the House Homeland Security Committee chairman, he, his statement says that this funding would allow TSA to expand collective bargaining. The uh, Biden administration has said this is a priority for them to to bring these TSA employees into full collective bargaining going forward, just like their Title V counterparts across government. Uh, but Jones says he hasn't received confirmation that TSA would do this if they received the funding. Um, so that's going to be on the agenda for some meetings that they have in January Jones said, and we'll see what happens. I know one of the bargaining sticking points over the years has been the regularity of shifts that TSA officers get. And I think the agency's position, and I could be out of date on this, but a few years ago, the concern was that if you gave someone the same shift over and over again, say Fridays, you know, four to midnight or whatever it is, year after year, that could be a security risk because they could get to know someone that's a regular flyer and someone get to know them. And who knows what kind of collaboration could happen in that circumstance? Yeah, that's that's the constant balance I think I've heard with between uh, what what TSA management wants to be able to do with their workforce and what TSA uh, employees and the labor the labor folks want to see uh, being on the table as far as collective bargaining. Right now, it's a pretty limited set of subjects. Well, it looks like that money will be coming through. The Senate has approved the bill, so now it's just a matter of getting it all together and getting it to the president's desk. And we keep saying this, and I'll say it again, federal agencies, even after the president signs the bill, you know, sometime around Christmas itself, you know, be careful. The money's not in the accounts yet. It takes a long time for the money to propagate, you know, into the Treasury and into the individual agency accounts there. And, Justin, while we have you, what about other Homeland Security items for 2023 are in the legislation you've been studying? Yeah, I think there's a couple big items, you know, for Customs and Border Protection, obviously dealing with a pretty significant uh, flow of of migration down on the border. There's funds for increased hiring uh, of uh, about 300 people at CBP, including 
um, you know, Customs and, and Border Patrol officers. Um, there's also increased funding for ICE. And then again for CISA, uh, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency sees another significant funding boost in this budget up to uh, nearly $3 billion when you think about just four years ago, they were at about $1.5 billion of an annual budget. So a pretty significant increase for CISA yet again. And that's mostly for bodies and people? That's for bodies, people, but also uh, tooling and, and services that they provide, not just across federal agencies, but across critical infrastructure for you know, rooting out cybersecurity vulnerabilities, scanning networks, and, and basically snuffing out threats. While we're marching through the Homeland Security Department, what about the Coast Guard? Yeah, there's $11.6 billion in funding for the Coast Guard in this bill. That's about $140 million more than the fiscal 2022 budget. That includes $1.7 billion for the air and marine fleets. That's continued support for the offshore patrol cutter program, MH-60 helicopters, and the polar security cutter as well. So strong support for for the Coast Guard uh, from the Coast Guard perspective. There's also $414 million, which is more than double the Biden administration request for shore facilities and other infrastructure uh, for Coast Guard and, and, and for housing for Coast Guard families, because that's been an issue that they've been grappling with. Yeah, the Coast Guard is like the Navy in the sense that they have a really bad maintenance deficit for their shore facilities. And what good is a bunch of new ships if they're running into rotting piers and rusting, falling down maintenance facilities? Yeah, it certainly seems like they're still digging out of a hole uh, there, especially coming out of sequestration, uh, just ending within the last few years on the maintenance side. And you'll be following all of this as the year unfolds. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Tom. And be sure to check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost... Uh... Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and 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 physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, you know, and I obviously will say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see you know, throw send in my information, and lo and behold, I I, I get hired, and um, I learn 
uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom and comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by always happy, always enthused, uh, has a, has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, it's often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is, you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism and, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and I mean, we work hard and, you know, we, we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day, but uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the, at Special Olympics, no one's excluded, you know, no, right. no one's excluded. Everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics it, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and, uh, sexual orientation and whatnot, but you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved, everyone's welcome, everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Uh, and, and the thing that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier. Um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age. It's, it's, uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or, uh, year old, uh, folks, 
the play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together, uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to to create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.